0: guys. It's kind of intimidating being introduced by a video by your pastor who's uh, in Colorado. So there you go. Uh, this is high tech. I like it. Um, it's a huge honor to be able to, to talk a little bit about uh, deception. Um, and really, we're talking about teachability. And, uh, you know, something that's uh, been really amazing is that, as Josh mentioned, my wife and I are part of the Antioch Project. And uh, as we go to our seminars every month, uh, we get to learn from guys who have actually done the hard work of church planting, like Josh. Uh, and what's great, too, is that though they hold a lot of expertise, um, they really model. Uh, what teachability looks like to us. You know, as we're sitting, um, going over this information about, you know, how do you do ministry, you know, even as I'm sitting there taking notes, I can look to my right or my left and I can see Josh or his mentors taking notes on the same same material that I'm going over. So, um, Josh has really modeled to me uh, what teachability looks like. So, I uh, just really want to honor him for doing that. Uh, anyways, over the last three weeks, we've been talking about teachability and some of, the, um, some of the villains that try and keep us from being able to receive input from others. So uh, the first week when Cody spoke, he, he introduced what is teachability. He showed us some of the benefits of being teachable. Uh, then Bryce, he talked about what happens when we stick our chest out and say, ah, I got this. And then last week, Scott showed us some of the dangers of getting into this whole you-do-you you mentality, uh, some of the drawbacks of relativism. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, this villain called Deception and his, uh, his trademark phrase, it's not that bad. Um, but before we do that, what I want to do is uh, give us kind of a working definition for the day as to what teachability actually is. So, here it is on the screen. Teachability is that quality that says, I'm not perfect, so, I'm going to do my, uh, so I will gladly seek out and receive input from others. Again, we're looking at this villain of, uh, of deception and his, his phrase, it's not that bad. But before we do that, let's take a look at this clip. Thanks a lot. Ah! Hey, buddy, how's it going? Dave, what happened to your eye? This? Yeah. Is it really noticeable? Yeah. Oh, man, it's totally serendipitous. Um, Well, I got off work early. So I decided to get on my bench grinder, and a piece of metal flew up. hit me right in the eye. It's pretty awesome. And uh, that brings us to now. Yeah, well, just try and relax. Can do, man. (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) Um, I actually have a similar story to this. Uh, About five years ago, my wife and I decided uh, that we wanted to rent a movie. So, uh, there was a red box about a block away from my house. Uh, Instead of driving there, I decided to take my skateboard. It was a nice night. It was kind of cool. There's a breeze out. There's still sunlight out. So... I hop on my skateboard and off I go. You know, I'm skating, everything's going great, birds are chirping, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, there comes a point where I need to cross the street. There's this major intersection that I need to get across. And uh, instead of waiting for the crosswalk sign, um, I decided to live on the edge and do something illegal. You know, I decided to jaywalk, right? So uh, one of the problems with jaywalking sometimes is that as you're crossing the street, there's car's coming your way. So you've got to be quick about it. Well, so I, I decide to do this. I hop on my skateboard and I'm skating, you know, because that's what I look like when I skate. And I, I figure I'll just roll up one of the driveways here on the side of the street and I'll continue on to Redbox, rent my movie, I'll get home, it'll be a great night, we'll have lots of fun, right? So as I'm skating and I pick out this driveway that I'm going to go up, everything's going according to plan, and then I realize something. The lip at the bottom of the driveway is a lot bigger than normal driveway lips. I don't know what you call them. Anyway, so I'm skating up to it, and I figure I have two options at this point. One, I could hop off my skateboard, pick it up, step over the lip, hop back on my skateboard, and go on my way. I can get to Redbox, rent the movie, it'll be great. Or I had another option. And that option is bend your knees and hope to God that you make it, right? So I figured, ah, well, it's not that bad. So I go with option two. I bend my knees, hope to God I make it. Um, well, one of the problems is, is as I was skating, I, I hit the lip at an angle. And to my delight, my front wheels made it over the lip. Everything's going great. Uh, and then my back wheels got caught. And what happened, because I hit it at an angle, is my back wheels went that way, and I flew this way. Right? Um, they say, as you're flying through the air, uh, that the best thing to do is to tuck your arms in. Because when you hit the ground, you're less likely to break anything. Uh, however, like an idiot, what do I do? I stick my arms straight out, and I hit the ground real hard. Okay? I hit it hard. And... Uh, I should have known something was wrong because when I got up, the first thought I had was like, did anybody see that? <laughs> you know, and, and then I see this lady who's driving my way. <clears throat> she doesn't even slow down to see if I'm okay, which made me really angry. I'm like, what the heck? I just fly through the air, do these aerial acrobatics, hit the ground, and she's just looking straight ahead like I was invisible. What the heck, right? So... I get up, dust myself off, and I figure I should probably make sure I didn't hurt myself, right? And so I do this little number. It's a little stiff, but I can move my wrist. Uh, there's no bruising. There's no swelling. So I figure it's probably just a really bad sprain, right? I didn't fall that hard. It wasn't that bad. Everything's okay. So I did what any normal person would do. I picked up my skateboard, and I walked to Box. You know, I was standing in line waiting for like 12 people to get their movie and by the time I was heading home, I was in a lot of pain. Let me tell you. You know, I was uh I was holding back the urge to throw up. That's how bad it hurt. And I was doing those deep breathing exercises that they show pregnant ladies to do, you know, like the <laughs> I did that the whole walk home. I didn't skate home, you know. <laughs> I didn't think that was a good idea. Uh, I walked home and I was breathing, giving myself a pep talk. Uh, and when I got home, I tried to convince my wife that everything was okay. Uh, even though I was like, oh man, I think I'm going to fall over because it hurts so bad. But anyway, like I said, I could still move my wrist. Uh, there wasn't any swelling. There wasn't any bruising. So I'm okay, right? Um, So I figured, look, I'll just ice it. I don't want to spend my Saturday evening in the ER. We'll just watch our movie. So that's what we did. We watched the movie. We hung out with some friends. We went to bed. And the next day was Sunday, right? So we get up, get ready for church, go to church, go home, hang out at home, go back to bed. By the time Monday morning comes around, my wrist still hurts. Now, WebMD told me that's not normal. So, (laughs) I figured, well, maybe I should actually go see a doctor. Right? So, uh, Monday morning, afternoon, I get in my car and I drive to the doctor's office, expecting him to be like, ah, it's just a sprain, don't worry about it. Right? Well, as it turns out, it wasn't sprained. I was suffering from two conditions. The first condition was, I actually broke my arm bone in three places. And uh, the second condition was a little bit of self-deception, right? This whole time, I'm thinking, ah, it's not that bad, right? I could still do this. <laughs> uh, I was missing some key information, though. Uh, one of those key pieces of information was, hey, crosswalks are good. They'll save you time in the long run. The other key piece of information was that you can actually still move your wrist even if it's broken. Didn't know that. Uh when I got to the doctors and I was waiting for the results of my x-ray, the nurse was like, hey, I need you to do, you know, see if you can move your wrist. I was like, I got this. My wrist can still move. It's good. So she says, do this. And I'm feeling pretty confident. Yeah, I got it. And she's like, do this. And I was (gasps) like, (gasps) oh, like she played a trick on me or something. And (laughs) And then she goes, yep. Yep. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, it means your wrist is broken. Uh, That brings us to one of the first points in our listening guide. Uh, Self-deception keeps us from seeing our own faults. Uh, One of the things that my (laughs) skateboard escapades did is uh, it put me on the hook uh, for a couple of things. One... Uh, It put me on the hook for some medical bills, right? When you break your arm, you should really go to the doctors, uh, probably right away. Um, The other thing is that you probably shouldn't ask your doctor if you can keep working, if you work construction. Uh, The other thing you probably shouldn't do, even if your doctor gives you permission, don't use your broken arm to hold things, especially heavy things, uh, because what will happen is it'll break worse, and then you need surgery. And now I have a plate in my arm. So there you go. The other thing is that uh, it put me on the hook for a little bit of pain, right? Uh, this ended up being one of the most painful experiences in my life. You know, at first, it wasn't that bad, you know. Um, but then after the doctor gets done manhandling your arm back into place and putting screws and plates and all sorts of things into it, uh, that hurts real bad. And hitting every pothole between the hospital and home after your surgery hurts real bad, right? And then I think we returned our movie late, so there's that extra <laughs> fee. So, uh, moral of the story, use the crosswalk. Anyway, deception keeps us from seeing our own faults. There's, a, there's an example in Scripture that i like to look at today in Luke 18. In Luke 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples and some of the people around him, and he shares the story of two guys. And these guys go to the temple to pray. Uh, Jesus says the first guy is a Pharisee. Now, if you don't know what a Pharisee is, uh, these were guys uh, back in the day who, they really loved God. Uh, they were really concerned with personal, daily, rigorous obedience to God's word. In fact, they'd spend a lot of their time reading God's word and trying to figure out what it really meant, uh, how to live out best practices, uh, to have a life that honors God. Uh, these were the kind of guys that, you know, when you looked at them at face value, you think, man, these are really, really good people. Let's take a look at what it says in Luke eighteen ten through 12 It says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, Standing by himself, prayed this way: "God, thank you that I'm not like other men—extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Do you see that right there? I'm not that bad. And really, I mean, who could say that he was, especially in comparison to others? Right? He." He doesn't cheat people out of what they own. He's just, right? He gives 10% of all that he gets to God. He fasts twice a week. That's pretty impressive, i got to tell you, right? The whole time, he's giving all these reasons why. I'm not that bad, not like these guys. You know, I should be accepted by God, Right? Something you have to understand about the Pharisees too is that as you look through their history, uh, there's this pattern that you see in the Bible where uh, the people of Israel would kind of forsake or neglect or not take God's commands too seriously and what would happen is that would bring trouble on them. Sometimes that meant that disease would break out in the nation. Sometimes that meant that when they went to war, they would lose important battles. Sometimes that meant that they would be deported out of their own home. So, for a Pharisee, in his day-to-day life, what was on his mind all the time was making sure that you display your faith for others. You know, because you... essentially, like, the fate of the nation rested on whether or not you're a good guy. Let's look at how the story progresses, though. And Jesus says this. Uh, So, the next guy is a tax collector. He's... um, Back when the Romans occupied Israel, you could think of these guys kind of like the loan sharks that you might see on TV or in the movies or, or even like the accountant for a mob boss. That's basically how people viewed them in those days. Your job was to make sure that the bad guys, the Romans, got paid. The other thing about being a tax collector is that you got some fringe benefits of setting your own salary, which was nice, right? You get to decide how much you're worth. And you would collect your salary from the people whose taxes you got. So they were famous for extorting people. Uh, they weren't very well liked. But anyway, this is how Jesus describes the scene going on. Uh, he says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So you can imagine this guy walking into church, kind of looks like Al Pacino, and he's there, and he takes this posture of humility. You know, people don't really like him, but it would be easy for a government official to walk into church and think that he's got it all figured out, right? You know, he's got a great job, he's got lots of money, he's got the full force of the Roman Empire standing behind him. You know, it would be really easy to, to walk in and act like you own the place. But here he is. That's not what he does. He actually takes a position or a posture of humility. He's beating his chest. He's pleading for mercy. It's at this moment that the Bible says he's justified. You know, he leaves and he goes to his house justified. And what that means uh, is that when he walked in the door, he may have walked in being in opposition to God an enemy of God, right? But, he took this posture of humility. He's pleading for God's mercy. And the Bible says that when he walked out of the door, when he was heading to his house, he was a friend of God. It's interesting to note, though, that the same is not mentioned of the Pharisee, right? The second thing we see from Scripture is that deception will get you to trade something lasting for something temporary. Now, Jesus, he always had these run-ins with the Pharisees. For whatever reason, uh, they butt heads quite a bit. And in another place in, in Matthew 6, Jesus is kind of talking about some of the habits and some of the practices that the Pharisees would have. Pretty similar to, to the story he shared. Um, and this is what he says about it. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is that when you do acts of kindness, it's really, really, really nice when people notice. It's really nice when uh, the lady at the store in front of you is short on her bill, and she has to put things back, and you say, no, 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 don't worry about it, I got it, and fork out the money so that she doesn't have to put anything back that's nice that feels good especially when the person behind you is like man you're so generous right what Jesus is talking about here is that it's okay it's actually good to be generous to give to help to do those things to do acts of righteousness but what's not okay is to like humble brag or, or to draw attention to yourself when you're doing it like don't worry everybody I'll get it right And this is why Jesus says they have received their reward. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father, who is in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. You know, remember our story about the Pharisee and tax collector? They do this so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's this phrase that stands out. The one that Jesus repeats over and over. They have received their reward. They have already received their reward. See, like the Pharisee in our story a second ago, these guys were really concerned with their outward appearance, with this facade that they built to say, Hey, I'm a good guy. I'm not that bad. But what's, what's wrong with this whole thing isn't that, isn't that they pray, isn't that they fast, isn't that they do acts of righteousness. What the problem is, is that the motivations that drive them to do these things are all messed up. They want people to think, I'm not that bad. Look around. I'm not that bad. Look at me pray. But the problem is, is that they trade the blessings of God for a pat on the back. That's what deception does. That's what deception wants to get us to do. It wants us to trade things that will last, things that are good, things that will stand the test of time for something that's fleeting, that will go away. I actually struggle with this quite a bit. Um, an example of this, when I was in high school, I was part of a youth group where um, my leaders actually really cared about us walking with God. They wanted us to, to grow in our relationship to God, to continue on after we get out of high school and walk with God. And so my youth pastor invited me and a bunch of other guys to meet up at his house every week and have what he called the discipleship group. And again, the goal was to get us to grow deeper in the Lord. Uh, to develop spiritual disciplines, to, to grow in relationships with other guys that we're going to run alongside. So we'd meet at his house every week. Um, he was from Texas, so he would make some Tex-Mex for us to eat. Uh, and we would sit around, and basically what, what the format was is that we'd sit around and we'd share how many quiet times we had that week, uh, what God's been teaching us. Uh, we'd share a memory verse that we were all supposed to learn. And uh, one, of the, one of the keys to discipleship is discipline, right? But I was not disciplined in high school. So, typically what would happen is I wouldn't do my quiet times, and I would forget to do my memory verse. Now, not a big deal, right? Except for when you're in a, a discipleship group, where that's like the whole point of getting together. Uh, eventually, someone is going to call you out. And you're like, what's the deal, man? Why aren't you taking this seriously? And if you continue in that, you might even be asked to leave the group. And for me, that seemed like a huge knockdown in status. I did not want to be the guy who was asked to leave a high school discipleship group. So, what I would do is, uh, if my youth pastor said, Hey, Aaron, how many quiet times did you have this week? Uh, The right answer should have been a number. I had five, or I had seven, or usually in my case, I had zero, But that's not the answer I'd give. Instead, what I would do, uh, so that people didn't think poorly of me, like if I had one quiet time this week, and last week I had no quiet times, my youth pastor said, hey, how many quiet times did you have? I'd be like, man, I got to tell you, quiet times went a lot better for me this week. Man, a lot better. Like, 100% better. In fact, let me tell you about this one quiet time I had this week. It's really memorable. It stands out to me. And I go on for like five minutes about this one quiet time that I had. You know, not really talking about the the fact that I actually only had one quiet time. I was really spiritual, Right? And then it would come time to say your memory verse, which also I forgot to do. So um, basically we'd like line up or something and uh, we'd share a memory verse. And if you didn't get it right, you might get kicked to the back of the line or or just try it again or whatever. So uh, I didn't want to be the guy at the end of the line because that proved that I really, really didn't do the work. So I'd, I'd get somewhere in the middle and I'd listen to a couple guys say it and I'd be you know, repeating it in my mind. And by the time it came my turn, I would basically just parrot whatever those other guys said, right? It looked like I had worked on it all week. I looked really, really spiritual. People would be like, man, this guy, he knows his memory verses. The only problem, though, is that through this whole thing, what I was doing is I was not doing my disciplines and I was avoiding instruction I was avoiding, you know, correction, even. And I was trading this idea of being spiritual, being held in high esteem by my peers or by the other people in the youth group. I wanted to look like I was really mature. I wanted to look like I was really spiritual or godly. But this whole time, I traded this... uh, I traded discipline, I traded teachability for a pat on the back. For people to say, good job. And what Jesus has to say about that is that that thumbs up, that pat on the back, that's your reward. And that's about it. The rub with with deception is that you never know the reward that you're going to miss out on because you're not teachable. And I'll have to say that again for myself. You never know what reward you miss out on because you're not teachable? Which begs the question: What if I was? What if I was teachable? What if I nailed down those disciplines when I was 16, when I didn't have a job, uh, when I didn't have to worry about life or feeding three kids and a wife or um, building a business? Where would I be spiritually? The fact is, is that it's been ten years or so, and this is still a huge struggle for me. You know, because now I have to get up earlier, I have to stay up later, I have to tend to the needs of my kids, my wife, my friends, my church, blah, 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 blah. And finding time to do a quiet time or to memorize verses is still really, really hard. I missed out on something that it's probably, I may never know the benefit of what I miss out on, right? One of the other ways this whole uh, strategy backfired on me is that now, uh, because I didn't develop these patterns of discipline when I was young, if, I, if I'm if i lacking discipline, and let's say I was supposed to do uh, an assignment for Antioch Project, uh, and I'm late on it, I have to go to my leaders and say, Hey, guys, I'm late on my assignment because I watched 16 episodes of The Office. Ha ha. It's humiliating. You know, I, I could have gotten away with it when I was 16, but now that I'm actually responsible for things, I can't really get away with it now. And so I have to humble myself, and I have to ask for forgiveness. And, you know, after like 18 times of that, and it gets pretty humiliating. But all of this, all this whole idea goes back to the idea that deception wants to tell you that, hey, it's not that bad. The third thing that we see from scripture is that deception will take you places that you never wanted to go. One of the reasons why, we talk, why this whole series is called Hijacked anyway is because these villains, uh, individualism, relativism, deception, pride, they all actually have real power over us. They have the ability to take our lives and redirect them. Unlike most situations where uh, when like a bus is hijacked or a car is hijacked, it's pretty obvious, right? You know who's driving. You know that it's not going the right way. You were headed to the grocery store and now you're going somewhere else. But the problem with these villains uh, is they're a little bit more subtle. Sometimes we don't even realize we're being hijacked by, by self-deception or by individualism, Right? But what's the cost of being hijacked? What's the cost of being taken over by self-deception or, or even outward deception? The Bible tells us in Proverbs thirteen eighteen, it says, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. We get to see an example of this in Scripture. It's a little extreme, but in the book of Acts, as the church is getting started, as it's getting off the ground, there's a lot of people coming to faith in Christ. A whole bunch of people from all socioeconomic places in life. Uh, people are coming to know Christ and, and being joined to the church. And one of the problems that comes up is that as you have all these people coming together, uh, some of them were in desperate financial situations. And one of the the values in the Christian faith is to be generous to others. So, what what some of the people would do in church is they just started giving their money to the leaders. You know, if they had excess money or even if they sacrificed and dug deep into their pockets, they gave it to the leaders and the leaders would distribute it where it needed to go, right? Well, there's this one guy. uh, The Bible says his name was Joseph. And he had a piece of property. And he sold it. And he gave all the proceeds from that sale to the church. Which is pretty impressive, right? And so, because of this, because of who he was, his character, he was highly honored in the church. Um, people really liked to be around him. He was generous, right? He even had a cool nickname. Uh, the Bible says his nickname was uh, Barnabas, which means uh, the son of encouragement, right? So, he was a good guy to hang around. Really encouraging. Well, there's this other couple. Their name was Ananias and Sapphira. And they wanted a piece of that action. They wanted people to give them a cool nickname. Right? They wanted people to highly honor them. So, they figured, hey, we've got this piece of property. We'll sell it. And we'll give the money to the church. But they got this really great idea. Okay? Let's say that their property was worth $50,000. Right? Their great idea was this. Let's... Sell the property, fifty thousand dollars. And we'll give forty thousand to the church and we'll keep the rest, right? That's a win win situation. You know, the church gets forty grand, which is a big chunk of cash, right? And Ananias gets to take Miss Sapphira out for a nice dinner. It's good, it's a good situation. However, for them to really pull off the plan. What they came up with was, you know, if we're going to get all the honor and if we're going to get the cool nicknames and get to sit at the table with Peter and Paul and all those guys, uh, we need people to think that the property is only worth $40,000. So it looks like we gave all the proceeds to the church. It's not that bad, right? You know, nobody's going to get hurt. God understands. Here's what the Bible says. Acts chapter 4 says this, uh, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all those who heard it and the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him a little while later Ananias' wife comes in and she tries the same trick and in the same way she dies and the Bible says again they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things What they had intended originally was to be highly honored and respected. They wanted the nickname. They wanted uh, people to think that they were super generous. What happened was they actually became a cautionary tale. See, deception will take you places that you never wanted to go. In the morning when they woke up, they didn't expect that a little bit of deception would lead to their sudden death, right? Now, granted, I don't know when the last person it was that died because they lied to their pastor. So this is a little out of the ordinary, but the fact is is that when you are deceptive, whether it's you know, self deception or outward deception, ultimately you're lying to the same God that Ananias and Sapphira did. Continuing to let deception hijack your life is gonna lead you to pain and trouble. So the question we gotta ask is how do we fight back? How do we keep deception from hijacking our life? And i, I come up with three ways here. So we'll move quickly. Uh, the first step, uh, we've all heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, right? Well, that's almost true. The Bible says that God helps those who humble themselves. Uh, from, from week one in the series, we've reiterated that time and time again. Humility is the first step. And that's because without humility, you can't be teachable. Jesus says this about the tax collector. He says, He went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And everybody who exalts himself will be humbled. James, who was the brother of Jesus, said it this way. He says, But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We've said this every week so far, right? Humility is key. Now, what humility is not is, um, is just pretending like you don't have any abilities or any value or anything like that. It's not, you're not humble just because you mope around, right? Humility is actually this posture of knowing exactly where you stand, you know. And we could even say, we could define humility as uh, saying something like, you know, I'm no big deal. So I'm going to try my best and I'm going to give credit where credit's due. And we can plug that back into James, and and I think it works a little bit, right? But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to those who say, I'm no big deal. Right? It saves us a lot of energy when we don't have to self-promote. When we don't have to convince people that we know everything about everything. So, that's a lot better to be teachable, to be humble so that you don't end up in the same situation as, like, Ananias and Sapphira or me in the doctor's office three days after I break my arm. All right. The second thing you can do is evaluate the results of your actions. Have you ever wondered why a plan of yours backfired? You know, if you sit and you think of, like, a great idea that you had where, you know, I'm, I run into this problem and I've got the perfect solution... Here's what we got to do. And you work the plan and it blows up in your face. Okay? The good thing about that is that that is the telltale sign of self-deception. When something blows up in your face unexpectedly, that means you've been deceiving yourself a little bit. Right? And here's what the Bible has to say about that. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In the Bible, it talks about sowing and reaping. Uh, Here in America, we like to think of things in terms of cause and effect. You know, like in science class, equal and opposite reactions. But in the Bible, they talk about sowing and reaping. And here's why. Because squeezing a handful of cactus seeds has a very different result than squeezing a handful of cactus, right? When you sow cactus seeds, you're going to get cactus. Cactus. When you sow self-deception, it's going to grow into something much worse. Even though as we sow it and we throw it out there saying, it's not that bad, what's going to come back is something far far severe, right? Evaluate your actions. Look back at those times when your plans blew up in your face so that you can see, like, hey, this really wasn't a good idea. This was self-deception. The strategy doesn't work. The last thing that we can do to combat deception is this. Live an open and honest life before others. And this is really key. Here at OCC, we call these the heart attitudes. And what they are is a set of values that we want to live out. Um, they are principles that were drawn out of scripture and kind of packaged in a way that's easy to remember. And the reason why living an open and honest life before others is so important is because of this relationship aspect of teachability. The only way that you can have deep, meaningful friendships, the only way that you can be teachable, is to be open and honest. Without those, teachability doesn't happen. You know, because nobody will know what's actually going on, right? Nobody knew what was going on in my life that I only had one quiet time every, like, two weeks, right? So I wasn't teachable, We need other people's input in our life. And it's kind of obvious in like small areas, you know, like have you ever gotten into the car and you're adjusting your rear view mirror and you notice like some gunk stuck in your teeth, right? Because you couldn't tell that it was there. The same thing with teachability with our own blind spots is that there's areas in our life where we have these great ideas having no idea that the plan is actually pretty messed up, right? So that's why we need to live an open and honest life before others. So that other people can actually peek in, so that they can see what's going on and give us feedback. This is going to save you a lot of trouble in the long run. So, you know, humble yourself, evaluate yourself, and open yourself up for input from others. Now, if you struggle with deception like I do, and you find yourself saying things like, ah, it's not that bad, this week, humble yourself. I'm no big deal evaluate yourself what's actually going on and open yourself up let other people speak into your lives if you take out your connection card you'll see that there's some next steps that we can go over I'm going to invite the band to come back up Uh, these are some next steps that you can take to help you in your fight against self-deception the first one memorize Galatians 6:7. it's this idea of sowing and reaping do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that will he also reap Uh, The second one, sit down with a pen and paper and actually write out some of your big ideas that may have blown up in your face and see what went wrong. What's going on there? Why did this blow up? Where was I deceived? What information was I missing? And lastly, and this is probably the hardest one, I'll tell you right now, it's kind of scary, is sit down with a friend and ask them, if they see any areas where you're being self-deceived, you know, ask them, hey, am I kidding myself here? What's really going on? Let's pray. Father God, I just ask, uh, Lord, I I thank you for the day. God, this is a beautiful day that you gave us and uh, I thank you for the freedoms that we get to enjoy and Lord, I just ask that as we go on throughout our week, God, that you will help all of us uh, to recognize self-deception Lord, that we can see the areas where we're saying it's not that bad. God, I pray that you give us grace as we humble ourselves and as we look for your help, not like the tax collector. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.